Oh, it's cracking, lovely people. Welcome to the Big Feed Up HQ podcast, episode 183 or 184, not sure, but anyways, crack on. I'm your host, Matt Gardner, and I'm a performance nutritionist by trade. I cut my teeth and learnt my skills as a practitioner, firstly in professional rugby, then outdoor adventure and endurance sports. I also work in digital healthcare as a health coach, supporting pre-diabetics, type 2 diabetics, uh, blood sugar regulation, body composition change, fat loss, supporting health span. I'm a food fanatic and I love a bit of outdoor fizz. And if you like the show, please share it with someone. Ultimately, it's the only show, only show, only way the show will grow. Why can't I get that? I've been doing this for four years. Anyway, you can subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Do me a solid and leave me a review. That'll be fantastic. There's a link to how to leave me a review in the Apple Podcast side of things in the show notes. So 33 Fuel support the show and they produce natural and powerful sports nutrition products. Lovely people. You can use the code MAT10 for 10% off your first order. I'm talking greens powder, uh, natural energy gels made out of chia seeds and coconut sugar, um, an energy drink I use. I've used the gels and the energy drink for every single one of my ultramarathons. They have protein bars, energy bars, all whole food based, whole food, can't even talk, whole food based, get it out. And they taste good. They all sit well with me. So give it a go. If you find something useful, then mega, you know, that's the main thing. So today I have a fantastic nutritionist on the show called Holly Dunn. So as with so many of my guests, I connected with Holly through Instagram and she has been brilliant to give up some time this evening for me to have a great conversation with her and we're going to dive into things Uh, we're going to talk about female health I'm going to hear about how she became a nutritional therapist what she's working on at the moment maybe lift the lid a little bit on functional testing so let's get into it and I hope you enjoy conversation with Holly Holly welcome to the show hello Matt nice to be here thank you for having me it's great to have you here and we're both just reflecting obviously before a press record um, we've both had enjoyable but busy days and catching you in the evening luckily we, you know we've just had a bit of sun the sun's gone down it's getting lighter and brighter um, but yeah we're probably we're coming more towards the end of your work day is that is that safe to say so hopefully you can step back we can have uh, a good open conversation and I can try and extract a little bit more of uh, value from you before you settle in for the evening <laughs> I am a bit of a night owl, yeah, so I generally do work a bit later, luckily, de- definitely luckily, so extract away. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, obviously, we've chatted a little while online, and people can find information about you. I'll put your Instagram in the show notes, your website, some of the things that you're doing in, in corporate health and mental health, but can we have a bit of an introduction? I know it's more of a kind of formal start, but I think people finding this episode, they're deliberately listening to this, they're probably engaged with the title or they've seen what you do. So it'd be nice to get a bit of a 30,000 foot view on on you as a as an NT, as a practitioner, as a coach, as a person. So yeah, please let us all know a bit more. Sure, so um, I'm a registered nutritional therapy practitioner uh, and a specialist in hormones um, and mental health. and. I didn't intend on doing that when I set out. I never intended to specialise in, in women's health. It's an interesting, it's a funny story there. I remember having a chat with someone in one of my lectures um, a few years ago and just saying, oh, I don't want to specialise in women's health. <laughs> and now this is what I'm doing. I can't believe that. I can't believe it. But um, in terms of the work that I do as a nutritionist, 
um, about 80% of my, my work is one-to-one, so in a, in a clinical setting, um, you know, as, as you do, uh, Matt, as well. And then about 20% would be um, corporate, corporate work, which I actually really, really enjoy. And then in addition to that, I'm currently doing a master's degree in clinical nutrition and additional trainings in um, sort of more of the psychological aspects of uh, relationships with food and eating disorders and things like that. So I think as practitioners, you know, we're constantly evolving and, and learning and doing additional courses and trainings because, you know, we have that responsibility but I thought it was interesting just to share, you know, because we were chatting offline just a few minutes ago about, yeah, I'm definitely taking a, re- a reduced client load this year because of, of some of the other stuff that I'm doing. But that's hopefully that's a kind of a nice little introduction. That's fantastic, Holly. If I pick up on that point where you're further learning to maybe just put a line in the sand for people to understand. So the clinical nutrition course, is that to support knowledge around prevention is that in in the treatment part of of uh, you know a, a private client or a patient you know where does that side of things if someone's hearing that term clinical nutrition what does that mean yeah. so do, do you know i think this is a really good question especially for any nutritionist listening because i think that it's very confusing we talk about working in clinic and in that situation we're you know looking at lab tests we're working with someone one-to-one we're looking at case histories and then we're we, you know, we're working in that scenario. Clinical nutrition itself, yes, there is that um, application side to it, but it's also very research focused. So it's looking a lot at um, the design of trials, designing your own trials, uh, research methods, um, and giving you quite a, a, a very deep understanding of things like biostatistics so that when you are looking, especially in new research uh, fields, you know, where there isn't potentially a lot of research yet, and we're looking to sort of um, create a deeper understanding and awareness of, of some of these new new topics. And certainly for me, um, neuroendocrine health in females, so this is sort of hormone health and nervous system health, um, that's a really interesting area that I'm, I want to fo- focus on more in terms of in terms of the research side of stuff. So you're digging into things that exist at the moment, scratching the surface of um, trials, um, studies and, and, and data that exists or in this course can you can you do some work yourself you know are you gathering small sample size of people taking from your own private kind of clinic clinical nutrition work your corporate wellness work how does how is that happening yeah there are options for all of that so um if you're you can do systematic review you can do things like systematic reviews where you know you're not doing um an actual trial where you're recruiting people onto the trial and doing analysis and statistical tests and things like that or you know certainly if you're, especially if you're working on sites there certainly is the option to design a trial and be involved in that process as well which i think is really exciting so i'm kind of hearing you quite so you, you do you champion this kind of evidence informed do you have an affinity for data um for me you know i'm I'll look at some of these things, but at the end of the day, the one-to-one conversations or picking the brains, paying for the time of someone who looks into numbers, trials, things like yourself in more detail, I would probably piggyback off your knowledge. But are you someone that likes to get into that and really comb over everything from a data, from a numbers point of view and look into that evidence? I like a bit of both. I've got to, I've got to be honest. I think that if you're working one-to-one, then your client knows best. You know, and 
you've got to take all of this research with a pinch of salt and you've got to say, well, does this actually apply to this person? And there's limitations in all research, you know? Uh, there's, you know, we think about if there's a hierarchy of evidence and with, you know, epidemiological studies being, you know, below things like randomized controlled trials or systematic reviews, actually it's all flawed. You know, even, you know, the higher quality evidence is all flawed because at the end of the day, the person sitting in front of you, you know, they are 100% unique and, you know, the whole systems and processes and that we undertake in research are, yes, they certainly are are flawed and potentially not applicable. So kind of, I've kind of undercut, um, undermined everything I'm doing right now. <laughs> but I think that there's a place for both. And I think as long as you're, if you're a practitioner listening, as long as you are confident, if you do need to look at, you know, we should, I think most of us be looking at research at, at times, but if you do need to look at that research and you can interpret it okay and well, then that's the most important thing. Yeah, understanding the person, that individual approach, like you said, is is almost all yeah. of your focus. And then looking looking into that, looking into that evidence side of things, clearly you've got a passion for it, and especially if you're going to be merging that uh, information and, and learning more about, you said, like you said, the brain, uh, the nervous system, and then you've got that perfect, that person in front of you in real time. It's dynamic, it's not static, that person's relationship with food, and then you can go back to the hard research and look at what's being funded, look at some of the things that might then slowly start trickling into the news, the health side of, um, you know, all sorts of big business that will push stuff out, social media that will come out. And then the person sitting in front of you will probably come back to you with these these kind of uh, themes and bits and bobs. So it all kind of works. It all, all roads lead to the same place, don't they, really? Like us as nerdy practitioners will read and, and explore something and then you guys listening to this you've probably come across something and then if you can ask a professional in nutrition about it um you know that will keep us on our toes or we might have heard about it a little while before and it's just laid dormant and then we have to surface yeah. a few other things up don't we yeah and at the end of the day it's all about cutting through all of this like nutrition um you know bs that's out there and there is a lot of it and it's about being able to understand and interpret and you know, extract what's relevant, what's real, what's myth. Um, I think that's where that's where the benefit is. But I certainly wouldn't have said it's um, it's it's more important than the client sitting in in front of you or I because that is you know coming back to that there is nothing that um, there's nothing that that beats that client relationship and your understanding of that person. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, oh, we're, we're definitely on the same wavelength. And I think that's given it a really good flavour of how you work with someone, what you do behind the scenes before you sit down with that person. And then, you know, what you're generally doing around your, your, your work day and your load. So some corporate work um, presenting, but then mostly one to one. Or is that where I've, I've sat for a long time? So I think if we've, you know, if that's the top level stuff, and then we can kind of start moving down the rabbit hole a little bit. You mentioned, obviously, female health. Uh, it's not something you initially wanted to specialise in, but you have. So yeah. um, I do have. In, I had conversation with someone yesterday actually about you know who wasn't not necessarily aware of uh, nutritional therapy, but more aware of functional testing. We'll maybe park that for a minute. But that whole hormones, those buzzwords around uh, hormonal testing, things like that. Um, maybe we can just put some meat on the bones. So when you're thinking about female health and the kind of things that you're that you're working. Um, in and around with your clients um, obviously that's quite a loaded question but maybe we can just open that 
that can of worms up a bit and we can understand a bit more from from the female health you know nt side of things that you do yeah so i mean in terms of hormones i think most symptoms can come back to hormones right even in men we think if we think about hormones we're talking about stress hormones and thyroid hormones and Hmm. um even you know gut hormones sex hormones they all hormones literally govern everything about us you know everything about our experience the way we think and the way we perform and so i mean you could essentially say everything comes back to hormones um my interest in hormones um stems you know i really started out in that interest in, in brain chemistry mental health and you know what makes people think tick and why people are maybe feeling emotionally off balance and my own experience of um, amenorrhea, which is loss of your cycle through overtraining, um, you know, a history of orthorexia and this sort of this sort of angle, that really opened my eyes to, wow, I feel anxious and completely out of touch with myself and really off balance. And part of the reasons for, for this sort of experience and what I see in a lot of women is, you know, this is the hormones are impacting our brain chemistry or rather the loss of the hormones, the changes. It's often it's, it's a result of low estrogen, uh, especially in the client's set that I tend to work a lot with. Um, so there is a you know, really strong link between the sex hormones as well as, uh, as, well as other hormones and, and nutrition status, sleep quality, quantity, you know, all sorts of other inputs, obviously, that influence our mental health. Mm. So that needs analysis, basically, if you're working with someone or hearing you're taking um, a look at what they have gone through in the past obviously well I'll, I'll tread carefully because I don't want to say a therapy session but if people I think the listener can understand if I say that in terms of you're looking back to inform the present how someone's feeling um, and and how they're operating energy levels wise perceived gut health um, performance in exercise performance at work performance with their family but you're, you're going back, taking that needs analysis, something that I used to use from sport when you get an athlete in front of you, you go through all of the things that they've done before and then what they're leading up to in terms of their competition, preparation phase, all that kind of stuff. So you're mapping all that out and you're looking back to see when someone might have trained more or when someone might have felt more stressed through life load or um, you know their current sleep levels uh, and, and all things like that. So you've kind of built that picture of someone, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think when you're working with someone, obviously you're doing a lot of data collection. Mm. You know, you're using your you're obviously doing a lot of questioning. There's usually an intake questionnaire involved that's pretty extensive for most traditional therapists. Um, and then you're you know there's usually tests involved. You know, even if it's you know a blood test and that's all. Um, you know, you're you've got all these different markers, and then you're you know you're trying to get an understanding of that person and you know there's there's so many things that you might be looking at here and um i think the testing side of things is is very important um for for a female um i we usually talking a lot about the, the cycle the menstrual cycle because that's often a reason they come to see me anyways there's some there's something off there um, or, you know, they may be, you know, fertility is another sort of a thing that people are often interested in. Um, but if you think about um, the, the ov- ovulatory cycle itself, is for, for a woman, that's such an important sign of health. And actually, you can extract quite a lot from understanding the length of someone's cycle, you know, what, if, what symptoms they may be experiencing, um, and what their history of their cycle has been. And, and I think it certainly isn't all about the cycle, but that, that, 
that is quite a nice thing that we can use um, to, to indicate, you know, what's the overall status of someone's health because your female sex hormones are going to impact your cardiovascular health and your uh, bone health and your mental health. And so that's, that's usually a helpful inroad uh, for us, even if we're not specialising in hormones. So we've got a clear connection, what you're saying is between like female hormonal health and mental health. So if someone yeah. listening to this, um, you know, they're, they're not quite feeling themselves, whatever that means, or there's anxiety, or like you said, they're, they're feeling like they're having those out of body experiences where they're looking in and everything's closing in or whatever it is. So uh, it's hard to obviously determine, and like you said, bring that straight into someone's cycle. But I think it'd be nice to explore maybe that connection on a surface level and then people can start to understand it's like i did a talk yesterday at school and i brought up the gut brain axis very briefly and people were very interested in that you could see the kids thinking like right my stomach my head you know little things like that so that's coming out more and more so what's that link between the women listening to this their hormonal health and their mental health well, uh, there certainly is. Do you know what? I'm going to start at a, I'm going to just go slightly off topic here because you just mentioned the gut brain axis, and there is actually a link between estrogen, um, gut health, and, and consequently mental health as well. So that's an interesting one in terms of we know if estrogen levels are low, and estrogen levels can be low in women naturally um, and also uh, um, unnaturally, um, you know, at certain times of, um, of life, but also, um, you, know, people, you know, under a lot of stress. Um, a lot of heavy exercise, possibly not meeting your nutrient requirements, things like that, we can see changes in the hormones, which leads to a kind of hypoestrogenic state, a low estrogen state. Um, funnily enough, the estrogen, when it's low, that can actually impact the permeability of the gut. Uh, and then if you think about that, can set off a whole storm of a potential problems that could lead back to the brain. But that's very, very much an indirect um, uh, and potential uh, link. Um, in terms of uh, the links between female hormones and, and, and brain chemistry and mental health. Uh, we know that estrogen is, has a, uh, a quite a significant impact on a variety of different brain chemicals like neurosteroids, neuropeptides, um, neurotransmitters. It tends to have a positive influence on serotonin uh, in the brain, which is a mood stabilizing um, hormone or neuromodulator. Um, and we also know again that low levels of estrogen are associated with changes in serotonin, uh, dopamine, and um, another hormone called uh, allopregnanolone, which is a, actually a metabolite progesterone. And this has quite a neuromodulating effect on the brain, so it has a quite calming impact on brain chemistry. So yeah, you're, it's no, it's, 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 um, be careful not to oversimplify it and say estrogen does this and progesterone does this because it doesn't really work like that. Um, you know, certainly if the levels are excessively low for a prolonged period of time, that, then we do see, um, you know, mental health suffers as a consequence of that, although there may be other issues in that going, going on at the same time. But I hope that gives you an overview of some of the influence of some of those hormones on some of the, the brain, you know, the, the direct impact of some of those hormones on your brain, your brain chemistry. I think it doesn't, it's obvious that it's a big spider's web. There's a lot of things going on. You've managed to simplify. I think you've done a fantastic okay. job. <laughs> no, I think you have. And there's a lot, obviously there's technical terms in there, but people have started to hear about dopamine, feel good, 
there's a lot of information yeah. about how that hits you through your phone uh, you know seeing things that you're always constantly um, alerted by um, and staying up sometimes maybe in the negative way but people are starting to hear I think in a good way about some of these things because these terms are being communicated about stuff online and then the serotonin side of things again that feel-good hormone I think there's more information coming out especially in mass media um, you hear a bit about how that's linked in gut health too so I think people listening to this would have heard of those terms and then obviously you know you're so good at sneaking down that rabbit hole a bit and going into these connections and talking about these modulators and things but it does allow people to understand that these levels will flux and then like you said if something is chronically low you know, you yeah. probably could maybe put your eggs in a basket to say, right, actually, this is something that may be determining a lot of things going on here. But if not, then there's a few other things at play. Um, but it's that understanding of how you can, it can influence literally how someone's feeling at one time because some of these key hormones will switch on things to make you feel great, elated. I always try and relate it back to if someone say went out for a, like that low intensity interval training, I call it, you go out for maybe a jog or a walk, something at the level if someone's listening to this where you can hold a conversation, but you're not too out of breath. And then when you finish that, you've got this calm but alert state. So that's where um, you know, you can feel some of these hormones really at play. Not too far where you'd hammered yourself and you're starting to like combust a bit, but you have that feeling, and that's how I relate sometimes to the brain chemistry when things are going well, when you've got that hit from the exercise, all those happy hormones. That's you know, that how you can relate that maybe. So um that's maybe just giving a bit of context behind because you specialise in these things and taking people through this from a female hormonal health side of things. I reckon there's a lot of people listening now thinking, wow, there's some great connections there between my menstrual cycle and how I'm feeling. Um, yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I, I had a lady yesterday in a corporate talk that I was doing on, um, it was for International Women's Day, so obviously there was, a, there was an element of female health coming into this, and we were talking about mental health. And I was talking about hormones and some of the influences on, you know, brain chemistry and even muscle, you know, um, um, skeletal muscle, things like this. And, when, and I was asking some of the audience what you know, whether or not they notice any changes in their mood across, you know, week to week. And and one lady said, yeah, you know, some days I just wake up and I feel like I can do anything and like I can take on the world. And then other days I just feel totally overwhelmed. You know, and I think this is an experience that a lot of women will identify with, you know, is actually that sometimes you just feel like quite different, you know, you do feel quite different. And it's not a kind of... Um, it's it, I don't think these feelings should be extreme they such certainly shouldn't make you feel unhappy and I think if they if they do or they start to impact your work or your life I think that's where it's time to do some investigation get some help see what's going on but you know I think accepting a level of fluctuation for all of us and men included in our in our mood is 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 part and parcel of, of certainly being a female anyway <laughs> that's really clear so there's flux to to a point but then anyone listening to this like you said if it is going too far it's really affecting quality of life performance yeah. ultimately people listening to this we're all trying to perform at every level with our loved ones our, our family our work our play so if that's really impacted like you said why not test and not yes I think it's yeah. that that is that is that quite a nice summary maybe for that that's section lovely summary yeah, beautifully summarised. Absolutely. Great. So, you know, if I pick up on some of the things, because I can be a bit cheeky and piggyback off some of the work you've already done over the last few days, and I, I suppose over this week of well-being, 
um, and focusing on female health. If we look at, you know, how we eat affects how we feel, how we move, how we sleep, that's obviously massive in your remit as well, being a, you know, a, a nutritional therapist. What have you been touching on briefly with some of these groups of women in the workplace um, around their food? Um, so it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, so some of the things, interesting, I've been very careful here because um, obviously we're all very individual, you probably find this in corporate workers, you've got to be quite careful to generalise, overgeneralise and, you know, don't want everyone to take a kind of, this means X, Y, Z and these are all the foods you should eat and you shouldn't eat anything else. So um, we've been, I've been talking a lot about um, some of the changes that happen over the course of the cycle and, you know, where certain foods might be a little bit more beneficial. Um, the research around phytoestrogens, which is really interesting, you know, certainly in terms of studies that have been done on ground flaxseed, and I use it quite a lot in my clinic. I'm often saying, you know, have a go at, you know, introducing flaxseeds for a while, and we monitor that kind of thing. Um, but that, you know, flaxseeds have been shown to have influences on stress hormones, on um, raising mid-follicular testosterone, which is actually really good for female performance and motivation. Um, things like um, balancing, or sorry, balancing, but the um, improving the progesterone to estrogen ratio, which when that's a little bit off, out of kilter, that can influence things like um, EMS and you know moods and things like that, like this. So we've been touching on a little some of the, those kinds of functional foods. There's always a lot of talk around blood sugar balance for everybody think, in every every walk of life. Um, fueling correctly, appropriately, is so important for females as well. I think that we talk a lot about, um, you know, the total amount of food that we should eat, but actually making sure that energy is actually distributed across the day is so important. And you'll see this is your bread and butter, right? Performance, that's going to be fueling any training that you're doing is important. But fueling your life is important. And I think that a lot of women get kind of sucked down into, they do a lot of fasting. And I'm not saying I'm anti-intermittent fasting. I think there's a time and a place. And it's also more, you know, it's safer to do for a woman in, in the first half of the cycle as opposed to the second half of the cycle. Um, but you know, I see a lot of women maybe restricting food intake at a certain time of the day, um, and that can have consequences, you know, for your way that you feel and the way that you operate um, uh, and your, your hormones as well. So, just to cover yeah. that, yeah, no, it's brilliant. Just to cover that first bit, so phytoestrogens for the listener, are they in flaxseed? Can you just clarify that? Yeah, so phytoestrogens are plant compounds, so they're, they're, they're sort of. Um, things that we find in plants that are structurally quite similar to oestrogen. So they can exert um, a weak oestrogenic effect. They essentially combine temporarily to oestrogen um, receptors in the body and either sort of downplay where oestrogen is going a little bit over, 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 overkill, oestrogen is going a bit high, they can kind of down, downregulate that and you can modulate that or they can um, enhance that maybe if, if oestrogen levels are a bit low. So they can help sort of balance, uh, we think, this is how they work anyway. Um, and, you know, certainly for women that are experiencing, women that are going through perimenopause, a lot of the women that I work with that are suffering from long or regular missing cycles, um, they, they may have some benefits there. Uh, and even men, I mean, my other half loves his flaxseeds. <laughs> He's satisfied that he they help his, help regulate his mood and stuff like that. So there are links with stress hormones as well and things like that. Yeah, they are sort of, they're not real oestrogens, but they're oestrogen-like compounds that we find in plant foods like 
uh, flax seeds, and to a lesser extent, uh, legumes, so things like you know beans, peas, um, lentils, uh, and foods like those, tofu, etc. So people can purchase, to say, these ground flax seeds. You can get a lot of these. Linwoods, I think, is a is quite a well known brand in supermarkets and things. Yes, okay, if people go to health food stores, they'll probably have more options. But if you're opening up a packet, you know, a pack of these, people might sprinkle them on top of porridge, put them in smoothies. You could also, to be fair, lovely people, you could probably use them as breadcrumbs for fish and things like that, or chicken and, and stuff like that too. Um, will that will that work for people, or do you have to have some something specific? Do they need to be kept cold? You know, what's the what's the crack with um, preserving these kinds of foods and and i like what you said about your husband i'm a big fan of that small little healthful habits and building momentum so if he's had that tablespoon of flaxseed in whatever he's having and then i don't know he's drank his water he's done his mobility or whatever those three or four things are it all stacks up and then you start making healthier choices so i think as a bloke those those little things can actually really help the big picture if you just nail something down, especially if your partner's for it as well. You both then piggyback on each other's healthful habits. So I really like that. Yeah, he puts it in his breakfast pot. So when we met about a few, what, five, four, five years ago, um, his his nutrition was a blessing. It was a bit all over the place. And, you know, but, you know, he was all right. He was a wee man. <laughs> but he now has, he now has this kind of, this soap, this soaked, Oh God, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it in a minute. It's so funny. He's gonna he's 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 taken all of my stuff to another level. He has flax seeds in his like it's soaked oat thing every morning, and he's now this is this now works in Glasgow in the week. He he commutes up on Monday, comes back on Thursday, and he because he's sort of eating out of he works in hotels, so he'll be eating out of hotel. He comes back on Friday and he makes up these pots for the weekends because he hasn't been able to have them in the week. And he's like, I need to get my, I need to get my stuff in there. So I'm going way off something there. But yeah, in terms of flax seeds, um, I generally recommend people buy linseed, so whole linseeds, because it's cheaper. Right. Okay. If you do go down the Linwoods Road, um, it's just going to be really expensive over a long period of time because you know the, they will charge you. I don't know what it is nowadays, but between six and twelve pounds for five hundred grams or something crazy. Wow. So I would go for. Um, buy the whole in seeds, uh, mill them up at home. You can mill them in a blender, and we, you keep it in a sealed container again in the fridge. Mm. Um, predominantly because you know fats can, you know, we, they can all fats can oxidize, um, mm. but uh, any um, mono or polyunsaturated fatty acids. So your non-saturated fats, um, butter's fine, coconut oil's fine, but some of the other oils can oxidize. So keeping them in the fridge helps to preserve them well. Keep them in a sealed container. But do buy them as thin seeds as opposed to ready milled flax seeds um, for, for cost, really. Fair. Wow, so, such a great tip. Don't listen to me. You want to be buying and saving money, bargain hunting, and then or mill them yeah. up yourself with the get a pestle and mortar and condition your wrists and forearms um, and start pounding <laughs> it up. So much strength. My sister's a pastry chef, and I try and whisk something for about 10 seconds, and I've just my arm is like limp, and she does it like. 10 hours wow. a day she's got crazy strength to uh with and blend and crush stuff so it's uh there you go you could get a workout in oh as well. my gosh you've got it made she's a pastry chef that sounds absolutely incredible yeah oh, i don't go well she's working a lot so i don't get i don't get well to be fair she listens to this hannah you have actually 
give me some of those sunflower seed bars that you make for your colleagues at work. They are delicious. So I don't want don't to throw her under the bus. She does actually bring me some stuff. So. Um, I want to pick up on another point and um, the interesting what you said about the fasting I know there's no hard and fast forgive the pun rule but you said something about first part of first half of the cycle fasting and second half of the cycle non-fasting I've never heard of that before that's really interesting could you elaborate Uh, on that yeah of course and I just want to caveat this by saying that there is very limited evidence on this stuff so as always it's all a bit conflicting and blah 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 but um, essentially, what we, from what we understand about some of the changes that happen in, in terms of hormones is that in the first half of the hormone cycle, so from day one up to ovulation, um, females tend to be more insulin sensitive. Um, they uh, can access carbohydrates more efficiently for fuel. So I do think that if you're, you know, I don't think this is a, a kind of a, um, a, what's the word I'm looking for here, a gives you full remit to then go and just oh, i'm going to fast all the time in the first half like that's not what i'm saying Think panacea is there a panacea right. is that the word panacea oh that's a that's a fancy word <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. we'll roll with it it's my show we'll roll with it yeah we'll take that word we'll take it that sounds like a cool word <laughs> um but the yeah in the second half of the cycle you're a little bit more um your your ability to access carbohydrate fuel is um, is not as efficient. So um, you naturally women tend towards higher rate of fatty acid oxidation anyway. So we tend to use a bit more fat for fuel than men do mm. um, by and large. But in the second half of the cycle, so from ovulation to um, your period, mm. essentially that that whole that ability to access carbohydrates is harder. So. Um, if you are, and again, I'm not a performance or a sports science, uh, specialist here, but if you are training low, you'll be able to talk a little bit more about this, then, and you can't access access carbohydrate far, um, quick enough, you know, in the in the midterm or short term, you may be relying more on, on cortisol and, um, and other methods to, in order to produce or give you that supply of glucose. Um, so I think that there are, there are, this is the theory, there are, there is some evidence around this as well. Um, you'll, what you'll tend to find, as, as a, a lot of women will, will describe feeling, you know, exercise is harder in the second half of the cycle, uh, generally feeling that, you know, they're getting hotter, body, you know, metabolism's going up. Um, so we generally speaking, energy requirement is higher anyway by about 16%, 10 to 20% right. in the second half of the cycle. So just being more careful about fueling. Um, is important and cortisol baseline cortisol levels cortisol is a stress hormone yeah the stress hormone is is higher in the second half of the cycle anyway so we know that cortisol levels tend to be higher in the luteal phase so that's another reason again not to go too heavy on the fasting right um at that at that point interesting so if you're then not going too heavy on the fasting and you're trying to support carbohydrate availability in that second half when you're saying that then there's some thought around that being harder to utilize that's right so if someone is pushing maybe a little bit more on that so imagine lovely people you're listening to this you've got a couple of energy tanks your muscles and your liver so your muscles like glucose so vegetables that grow below above the ground bread pasta potatoes anything sugary your liver alcohol fruit fruit juice fruit sugar all that kind of stuff goes in there so we're pulling energy from those two tanks to exercise and it's fascinating that men men to women, maybe women in that second part of the cycle, 
that process you know there's, there's there's something going on there potentially so if you are going low you're fasting or you're going very low carbohydrate that might you know that might be putting another thing in so that your your training maybe you, the perceived exertion the fatigue the endurance that that might be influenced a little bit so it might yes. be worth not 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 saying don't do it but being aware of that to, to potentially not train as a low in that part of the month that's really interesting yeah, I think that I think there is. Um, we, I mean, you have to take this with it. This is the. This is what we think, right? This is what this is what we think from what people are saying, from, mm. from the evidence that we have. I do kind of want to throw a little bit of a spanner in the works um, by um, saying that for some women, right? Some women may find that, um, and they they are susceptible to cycle suppression where they don't get a period, right? Their periods are eaten, uh, when they train a lot and they or they're under a lot of stress or they're perhaps not eating, you know, in the right way, or the, the foods that they're not meeting their energy requirements, they can notice that their, their cycles can go missing. And I think in that scenario, um, actually fueling, um, the, you know, avoiding fast fasting on the lead up to ovulation, so, actually, so just to confuse you all hugely, that this is in the first half of the cycle, that's also really important. And we do know that um, low glycogen stores, so glycogen is a is a is a way that we store carbohydrate in the muscles and the liver and you i'm sure you would have spoken about this we know that low glycogen stores can actually inhibit um the secretion of a hormone called lh which triggers ovulation so in certain women um there's you know arguably is there ever a great time to do faster training i'm not sure maybe it's just at the very start maybe it's you know right where the period is coming and then you you know it's it's all a little bit and this is what's very frustrating and we're going back to what we say at the very beginning about the science and the research and it's all in flux and it's difficult and I think there's every week there's a new paper being published that's completely conflicting everything we thought about this xyz so we've got to take everything with a pinch of salt and you've got to take anything that Matt and I say and apply it you know think Put your own experience first and then think about what we're saying and you know does that apply how do i feel at this time you know what does you know I'm always checking in with your energy levels your performance your recovery you know those kinds of things are going to be the most important thing yeah i agree with that holly so just because you can lovely people doesn't mean you should so these tools in your toolbox obviously we want a vast toolbox you know like my dad shed things pouring out everywhere but you don't have to use them all the time. So uh, you've got the opportunity, if you're listening to this, you're exercising maybe first thing in the morning. Even if it's just something small, it could be liquid-based that digests quicker. Or remember the night before, you've got meals that can have carbohydrates and things in them to help fuel those two tanks that we mentioned earlier, build your muscle glycogen levels. So um, that's something to consider. So there's opportunity in there. And just think about the uh, the format of your meals. I call it kind of liquid to semi-solid to solid. So more moisture, it will go down quicker. It might be able to pass through before your exercise. Less moisture, anything that's drier, it's going to take a little bit longer. So that is such a fantastic spin on uh, on being active and thinking about female health. I don't know if we've ever addressed that in that way on the pod. So I really appreciate that. Well, you're, you're really welcome. Yeah, I'm pleased. I'm pleased we've managed to cover something new. That's great. No, it's excellent, Holly. And I'm quite conscious of time, especially um, using all, you know, all of your uh, 
knowledge after a busy day oh okay okay well if you've got a few more minutes we can maybe cover cover our next little bit so um yeah i think it'll be perfect to to understand that at this stage if people want to stay in touch with you um i'll obviously put information in the show notes for them to do that is there anything that you've got coming up i know you do some of these uh, events that might be a bit more behind closed doors for businesses and things but is there anything you want to talk about or mention that you can let the listeners know about um, that they can look forward to seeing and hearing from you? I know you produce quite a lot of written content that you link to your Instagram. You know, what's going on there? What can people look forward to with some of the things you're doing in the future? Yeah, well, it's an interesting one. I think, um, I guess the master's degree has put, has put a spanner in the works a little bit. But I, I said, I think that in certainly in a few weeks or so, I'm definitely opening my clinic up to more people so I've had I've, I've had to sort of um, close doors and for the first time in my life I have a waiting list which makes me feel really in, in powerful and important <laughs> but um, no it's not ideal because I, I don't like saying no to people or I don't like keeping people waiting especially when there's concern or distress and people are wanting support so t- certainly if you're looking for one-to-one support um, in about sort of four to six weeks or so I have a little bit more space that's great um, I'm always producing something on Instagram, even though I actually really, I don't particularly enjoy social media. <laughs> it's crazy. I feel a huge, I've always felt a bit of an obligation to do it, but then I've got a nice community there. Um, I'm constantly doing writing things, um, articles. I mean, there's no, I'm, you know, to be honest with you, Matt, I'm not producing a program right now. You know, I'm not producing a group program right now. Um, it might be something I do something like that in the future. I flirted with the idea of writing a book that might come that might come at some point. So we'll just see what happens, really. I'm just sort of, you know, enjoying my work really right now and, and enjoying a lot, a lot of the stuff I'm doing. But I will keep in touch with you and let you know if there's a big there's a big launch of something coming. No, that's really genuine. And it's just refreshing to hear how passionate you are about what you're doing right now and like you said you're not chasing the next big thing you're just doubling down on finishing off uh, your your research your studies um, your commitments you made to existing clients and then when you actually do open up more hours you'll be prepared and ready for it it sounds like in four to, to eight weeks time so if you are listening to this lovely people you know definitely stay in touch with holly with what she's doing online that's how i found her very easy to talk to and you know your um your way of, of 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 working comes across as well your thought patterns and your videos on instagram i was listening to a couple on the train um, earlier today traveling between some work bits so it's so easy for us to kind of digest content and take some of that in and then obviously if you want a more personal approach time that needs analysis going through things you know speaking one-to-one to her then you know reach out us I like connecting people from this show as well. You get a bit of escapism listening to some of our stories, our experiences, but then they're real, they're real people on the end of these conversations. And we're not we're not these kind of big time celebrity podcasters who wouldn't get back to you. You know, anyone can contact us at any time if you need help with anything. And if we can't help, then we'll pass it on. So, yeah, and I, I really love that you said that. And, and I would say likewise for you, um, anyone thinking of working with you, you're so incredibly approachable. You know, like, because we've, we've connected, I think, in the past, and it's just the conversation just completely opens up and flows. And mm. it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not that, you know, obviously people do get very busy, and, but, you know, you're, uh, I like the fact that I, I never feel like you were too busy. You know, people, I, I don't get that impression at all. And I, I like to think that I'm the same. I will answer everything that I can, any message that I can. 
Um, sometimes they can, it can get a, a laugh, but I, I don't, um, I certainly try not to leave anyone hanging, so. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So, um, look, lovely people, keep in touch with everything that Holly's doing in the show notes. And if you like the show, please share it with someone. It's a tiny little pod and handing it over to someone, a little warm handover, suggesting the show, uh, maybe presenting it with this episode or another one. It all helps. It all helps. So thanks again for listening and uh, check out 33 Fuel as well. Everything that they're doing, they support the show and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks very much.